The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Chris Smalls Angelos. Smalls, how are you today? Sunday night, our usual recording day. Birds, preseason game today. You were on a flight. You don't really care, but you were in a good mood because they won. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm living in 1996. My internet keeps going out. I don't have internet. I have to get on you know, the recording and say, hey, guys, I don't have internet, so you guys can hear me through a phone. But yeah, you're right. The Eagles won. I'm a happy camper. Uh, Flyers won their opener. Huge win, little global series action, 4-3. The lines look good. Uh, we got college basketball starting up soon. The NBA, people are already talking about Simmons not shooting in his scrimmage. Don't mean to go on Philly, Tyrants. I feel great. How are you doing, Tyler? I feel like we had a great interview. I, yeah, we did. Uh, Gene Bain, head coach at Brandeis. Uh, they're the judges, which is a great, great mascot. Because if there's one thing that just instills fear into people small, it's a judge, right? Like, yes. So, you know, we didn't really talk about that with Gene, but I really, I like this interview because Gene and I have a, a little bit of a, something in common and, you know, he gets the job at Brandeis last year on October 1st, a little bit of a, you know, scandal in the off season. You guys can read it. It was on Deadspin and, you know, he gets hired and has to retain some coaches and it was interesting because I was in that same boat and we've talked about that a lot, but you know, he, he gets that job on October 1st. They won seven games the year before, and then he ends up winning 18 games, seven games in conference in the UAA, which we've talked about as an absolute gauntlet in Division Three. And, like, it was really fun to talk to him about it because he talked about how they sort of got there, went 100 miles an hour, and just banded together and just made it work. And I think a lot of guys, they speak in cliches, or not, not a lot of guys that we have on the show. I, I shouldn't say that. But, you know, guys were just like, yeah, we figured out a way. And I thought it was really interesting how – he just kind of said, like, I, I sat guys down and I told him, like, hey, this is the situation we're in. These are the players that we have. This is, we're going to have to make the best of it. And they got better as the, years, as the year went on. And to me, like, that's what coaching's about. You know, it's you get in this situation where you're really excited. And instead of being like, damn, I don't get to hire my own staff or I only have like eight players because I didn't get a recruit, you figure out a way to lift up everybody around you. And just after talking to Gene Smalls, like, I, I totally understand that that's how he is, you know, like it makes sense. Yeah, I think his personality fit what Brandeis needed, not just in that situation, but the direction they want to go in terms of basketball and, uh, you know, how that links up with the academic population as well. His personality, just getting a chance to speak with him and converse, it, it's something that it's not too high, it's not too low. You can hear that he has some, he's a little laid back, but he's also super focused, locked in. We've heard that from everyone uh, that we've kind of talked to on the podcast, off the podcast, different coaches. He's the real deal. And I think it takes a special type of person to be able to handle that situation. Like you said, sometimes you don't, you don't see like the end of the year records, what a team means. But for them to improve throughout the year and to get better, that says something about the leader of the program, the head coach. And I think he doesn't just think about himself. He thinks about, we've talked, we talk about in the podcast is his assistant coaches, his players, what not just basketball means, but kind of focused on everyone's different personalities and how he can incorporate them in the program. So I, I really appreciated his honesty and uh, had a lot of fun as well. 
Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of laughs as always. We talked a little bit about dominoes. This was the first time, like I said, you know, we're 200 episodes in on bovadasportsbook.com. Yeah, it was like, how, how do you play dominoes? It, it was it was interesting. That was his secret talent, I think. And, I, you know, not to spoil things, but... And then, you know, he took us on a good city review, I think, around like the Waltham, Boston area. And there's a lot of stuff to do down there. And, you know, Smalls, I, I grew up outside of D.C., like spent a lot of time in Philly. You're a Philly guy. And like, I don't think we give Boston enough of a look in terms of like a fun city. But he's right. Seafood, bowling. You know, he's going to show us a good time up there, I think. And, and, and the W Hotel. And then we kind of big timed it a little bit and told him, you know, I told him I had been there before. I told him. We told him we went to the W in Austin, you know, as if like we're making tons of dollars as podcast hosts. But I thought it, it had every mix of like what we'd love to have on the show, which is, you know, a lot of good advice, but also like good banter, some good personality. And it made sense that, you know, 27 guests told us like, hey, you got to talk to Gene Bain. Like I, he might have been the most requested guest if we went on Bovada and it was like, what is, you know, minus 400 get Gene Bain on the show. Like he was probably the most requested person that people told us, like, if you want to get a guy who does it, who's exactly what you want on the show, I think it was him. And, and I'm glad we finally got him on. No, a hundred percent. Like you said, like just enjoying that conversation. I think not to say we don't follow other coaches and their programs. Sometimes, you know, we have these coaches that have been a head coach for a while and you kind of know what they're going to do and that they're going to make a run in the NCAA tournament. I'm actually really excited to follow coach's journey at Brandeis, see how he builds that program, takes it from, you know, a, a volatile situation that he was entering on October 1st, has the first year, and then starts to really build because I do think it, he not only has the chance as a leader, but to take that program to heights that it may have seen before in the past, but new heights as well. And I wouldn't be surprised in five, six years that they're competing and Sweet 16s and Elite 8s and items like that, but it will take some time. And I think he has that patience. He also has that fortitude on the recruiting trail as well. Yeah, and we talked about it. Like UAA, they, they routinely get more than one team in. It's an auto-bid league, but I also found out that there was a Division three sort of NIT today. We didn't talk about it on the show, but I asked him beforehand, they went to the finals of the ECAC tournament, and he kind of told me that was the uh, NIT. Did you know that before the show? I, I did know about the ECAC. Uh, they used to have it in Division Two, I believe. I believe it was called the ECAC in Division Two. But I had known schools like Newman uh, had played in it uh, a year or two ago. Uh, schools like that. So I just run across it. I don't know anything in particular than IT. But all I'm saying, we've got so much knowledge. I, I've been thinking about it. we got so much knowledge on this podcast. Bovada, we could set. We could set odds. For all these teams, all these season wins, we know the matchups, the two guard offenses, what type of real estate they own in people's heads. I mean, we could really, we could really do some stuff, and I would be surprised if Bovada starts to get in the Division Three market. Starts listening to this podcast, Tyler. I mean, I, I think we could handicap. Not, not to you know, we we talked about this before. Like you know, go on Bovada, make a little bit of money, use it, spend it on your rising coaches, you know, membership. But we could handicap the East Coast pretty good, I think based on our relationships and guys that we've talked to. Oh, yeah. Bus, bus ride up to Vermont, a little back-to-backer. Like, you're going from New York to, to Brandeis in December, right before Christmas break. Why is that line eight and a half? It should be three and a half. Well, they must know. That's us. 
after two years of doing the podcast and claiming we care about other people's smalls, what we really wanted to do was start a small college sports book or get Bovada to break us off some cash to do that. I think that's pretty funny. Uh, I do want to talk about one other thing because we've had a conversation when we talked about this last week about you being kind of, or two weeks ago, you being like poopy pants when the Eagles lost to the uh, Lions. And I joked around about how like, and this has been on Big Cat and PFT. I've talked about it some part of my take about like why you watch sports and like why you do it to yourself. And I think one of my problems that I, you know, that I didn't understand is that like as a DC sports fan, I just haven't had a lot of moments where you get to feel like, oh yeah, that's why I watch sports. You know, whether it be like for you, the Phillies in 2008 or like, you know, the Eagles in 2017. Well, I got to have one of those moments, Smalls, on Tuesday night in the wild card game. Well, you know, it's kind of lame to have to yeah. say it's the wild card game, but like two run comeback, bottom of the eighth, like Juan Soto, they knock in three runs, they close it out. And it's like, I was really laughing about it because I think other than maybe John Wall in game six against the Celtics and then maybe Gilbert Arenas in like game six against the Bulls in like 2006. What were the Caps? The Caps had the run? Yeah, it was fun. But like I'm not a huge hockey guy. Like now I am. Big bandwagon hockey guy. Like Caps Stanley Cup champs. I watched all about that. Claimed I loved them. But like you know me, Smalls. Like I'm not a huge hockey guy. Like I like watching hockey, but... It's not yeah. like my it's not like my team, you know? It's not like when the Eagles won the Super Bowl and everybody I knew in Philly was like I was like jealous, you know? Yeah, you like can jealous. die you can die happy now and like a lot of people can put some demons to rest and uh that's that's what sports does for you sometimes. It is really important. But it is. And that's what I was gonna say, and I think that's what one of the things like I miss not coaching is you do get that feeling more you know not all the time but you get that feeling sometimes you know you're gonna get it this year jefferson like you're gonna have a big win at home you know herb's gonna be talking about how great his game plan was and you're gonna walk out of there feeling amazing i'll edit that out later don't worry but you're gonna walk out of there feeling amazing about it you know like and you're gonna get that high and i think like that's what you want as a sports fan that you don't always get you know maybe if you're like a patriots fan you know maybe if you're like a boston sports fan or something but it was funny because it was just like that Tuesday night. I was your lowest of the low, and then something good happens, and all of a sudden the game's over, and you you can't go to sleep, and it's like one a.m. and you're watching Dave Martinez's press conference because you just you want to soak it all in, you know? Yeah. At the same point, you're right. There's like you know, there's that high positive, and this goes right into the podcast, and you'll listen to it, um, especially near the end. There's that high of highs, and then the low of lows, and you know, I think that's that's a major flaw with a lot of us as well is we get too low when something we have no control over uh, happens and loses. But at the end of the day, that, that's kind of how, how it rolls. And I think as you grow up, as you get older and in coaching, especially you learn how to deal better with those lows and even deal better with those highs. Once you find that midpoint, uh, I think that's when you become really dangerous in terms of being successful in your career or in your general life as well. When you can always find that midpoint and be happy, but also when something goes your way, be able to bounce back from it. I think you displays that. Yeah. And we talk about that a lot, Smalls. And I think that's one of the things that's been one of my major takeaways. I've talked about this before, but obviously how many great coaches there are at all levels was one of the things that was really eye-opening to me. And I know people listening are like, you're an idiot if you didn't think that. But like, honestly, it's my own personal bias, never having worked at a smaller, small college level. You know, I knew some people, obviously, and, you know, small as you, but that's been one of the things about like, when you watch coaches now and how Tony Bennett is a perfect example, like they're, they've been really good and they lose in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And that's like probably one of the biggest lows of his career. And then they win the title and he seems like the same guy. 
And that's not a coincidence. And I think that's what people strive to be. And it's harder. Everybody handles things differently. But I think kind of listening to different ways to handle the highs and lows is probably one of the biggest takeaways from this show over the last two years. Because everybody's different. And everybody talks about it. They know about their demons and stuff. And that's why, like, you know, when you meet a guy like Gene and you talk to him, like, you can just tell, like, that guy hates losing. But at the same time, I think he recognizes that losing is part of, you know, the game, the process, like part of mentoring student athletes. And I, and I appreciated that about him, you know, talking about it because, you know, and you chase that high too, right? Smalls, like you win, you just, you want to win and win and win. And that just can't be the only reason you do this. Otherwise you'll get burned out because you're just not going to win all the time unless you're, you know, unless you're even Nick, Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, like even those guys don't win all the time. You know, you got to figure out a way to not win. So Kind of a long-winded intro, a lot of, lot of Bovada talk as usual because, you know. Hey, go Nats. I mean, they're on right now. Uh, There's it's live two- odds right now on Bovada. I'm taking a look. You got Nats Dodgers. They're up to nothing. Nats were, plus, Nats were plus 145 at home before the game started, but I my stomach's in my throat. Like, doing the podcast during the beginning part of the game was really good because – that, that keeps me from sitting downstairs and not talking to my wife, you know, for <laughs> six hours. So at least this way, like, I got to watch four innings before I go downstairs and be a jerk. But anyway, as always, if you like what you hear, please do reach out to us. We are Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review. Give us a uh, – leave us a written review. Leave us a five-star rating. Jack us up the ranks. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, you know, you still should give us a five-star rating because we work really, really hard on this. And uh, as always, if there's any suggestions, things we can do better, guys we should have on, things we do a great job at, we love being complimented, you know, DMs are always open. Like I said, create your shot at gmail.com. But thank you to everybody who listens and enjoy this interview with Gene Bain, the head coach of the Brandeis Judges. We are pleased to be joined by Gene Bain, head coach of the Brandeis Judges. Gene, thanks for joining us. How are you tonight, man? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, we're excited. You're entering your second season at Brandeis. You're coming off an 18 and 11 uh, overall record, seven and seven in the UAA, and uh, a run in the ECAC tournament. You've basically had the entire off season to kind of reflect and learn about your first year. We kind of want to start right there. Like, what went right and what went wrong in your mind? Um, I think the, the most important thing that went right, uh, and I was lucky enough to, to, to kind of inherit the kind of kids I had was uh, to be able to build the culture. Um, I think that's the number one thing that you have to establish uh, in whatever program or business or anything that you uh, have a chance to be the, the leader of. And I was fortunate enough to, you know, get that established and have the kids buy in and uh, throughout the year. And then we were fortunate to have a great year. Um, you know, I think the one thing that kind of went wrong was, you know, we just didn't, we didn't have enough bodies um, because of, you know, the situation that Brandon inspired me arriving. I think there was a lot of uncertainties as to what was going on. So, um, you know, reality, we all had eight to nine live bodies. So I didn't have a chance to, you know, play a lot of guys. So um, so I think that, that that's the only thing I could complain about my first year. 
Right. And you're going into year two, like we said, you're coming off an 11 win improvement and a four win in conference. You know, how do you kind of temper expectations? Because like, that's a huge jump. And we were talking off the air about how good the UAA is. But for you, in terms of just kind of getting better year in and year out, like what are the expectations this year? And how do you kind of make sure that you guys stay focused on the task at hand? I think the biggest thing that, you know, we, we talked about this after the season with our guys was, you know, you got to stay the course. I think you can't, you know, you can't get too high, you can't get too low. I think you got to go back to doing the things that, you know, had success for us last year. And, uh, you know, we got to raise the bar. You know, obviously, you know, coming off 18 wins, you know, we expect more uh, from one another as far as my team, myself. But I still think you got to just stay, you know, in the day-to-day grind of, of just taking it one day at a time and doing what you did last year to put you in a position to be successful. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, and, you know, I wasn't going to bring it up, but, it, you know, it was a tough situation coming in. Uh, you know, there's a bit of controversy, you know, coming into the year one. How did you approach that head on? That's not something every first year head coach has to do, but you had to kind of deal with that head on, talk to your guys. How did you uh, kind of probe and maneuver that situation? I think the number one uh, thing that you have to do when you come into a situation like this is you have to address it. Um, the first thing that we did, you know, in our first team meeting was we talked about what went on. And after that, the kids, you know, kind of got, you know, whatever they had on their chest out in the, in the open. And uh, from then on, we kind of moved on from it. We really never talked about it. Uh, so, you know, I think these kids were just fortunate enough and really looking forward to, you know, getting the season going and playing basketball. So, um, you know, they're very, very good kids. And, uh, and like I said, I was fortunate enough to, uh, to inherit them. What are your expectations now uh, this year and moving forward for the program? Where do you see yourself heading and how are you going to build, you know, into a year in, year out championship contender, eventually, you know, obviously NCAA tournament making those strong runs as well? You know, I, I think at the college level, whether, you know, whether it's division one, two or three, I think everything starts with recruiting. So, you know, we we brought in four kids who we think that's going to really, really help us. So, you know, I think, you know, the better we recruit, the better we're going to be. So, um, you know, I told the guys before, you know, before the season, um, you know, we want to raise the bar. You know, we want, yes, we want to, you know, win a championship. We want to go to the NCAA tournament, but we got to make sure we do the things that, you know, we're supposed to do to get there. So, um, you know, we try not to look too far ahead. Um, it's something that, you know, I've kind of, you know, encountered throughout the years of coaching is, you know, whenever you get ahead of yourself, you know, bad things happen. So. Um, we've kind of stayed in a moment in, in terms of talking to our guys about just, just taking it day to day and kind of see what happens. Um, I'm a firm believer, you know, obviously if you, if you do the work and you, you know, you, you put effort and you do what you're supposed to do, good things will happen. So, um, you know, that's kind of what we're, you know, we're doing for this year. Gene, it's interesting you mentioned recruiting. You were a player at Northeastern, spent some time at WPI, then uh, New Hampshire, Dartmouth. Columbia, you know, high academic is kind of your bloodlines. Did you feel like, I guess my first question is, how big is the difference in recruiting at Ivy League schools and then coming to a school in the UAA like Brandeis that's so highly regarded academically? Because you're, you're going from no scholarships to still no scholarships, but it's obviously slightly different because it's Division One or Division Three. What was that transition like on the recruiting trail? I think for me, it was the transition was very easy just because, like you just mentioned, you know, I'm going from no scholarship to to, to you know, at high academics and, you know, the Ivy League is that and, and the UAA and, and Brandeis, that's what it is. So, you know, the adjustment for me was not very hard because, you know, there are a lot of kids that, you know, could play in the Ivy League and our league. So, 
um, you know, it, the transition was very easy on my end because I was fortunate enough to coach in the Ivy League. Was that one of the reasons why this job was so appealing to you? I, obviously, you're from Medford, Massachusetts, which is, you know, right around the corner. But it, it, because, you you know, the Smalls mentioned the transition wasn't the easiest off the court. But in terms of what the job was and what it could be, did that make Brandeis the right fit for you to run your own program as a first-time head coach? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think when you, you know, when you get to this level, um, more and more now you find that, you know, academics uh, is very important to a lot of families and a lot of kids. and you know, I think the Ivy League has taken off in terms of combining both. So um, I think that was the major appeal for me, like you mentioned, to come back home, but yet uh, to have the opportunity to coach at a school like Brandeis, who's a top 35 university in the, in the, in the country. So um, I think the combination of both was, was, was the reason that I took this job. Excuse my bad journalism here. Bad question. <laughs> but what was the interview process like? Uh, can you take us through that from – when you initially found out about the job and then, uh, you know, the unique process that unfolds at different levels, I think, yeah, everyone's going to get, you know, phone interview and you hear about getting on campus and things like that. But I don't think we ever get to hear the nitty gritty details and what that process is like from your end. So if you could, uh, you know, just walk us through that with Brandeis. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a little different because obviously what was going on here at the time. So, um, I don't think anything, you know, the way it was handled, I don't think they wanted to handle it that way. But because of, you know, some of the stuff that they had to take care of on their end, uh, it made the process a little longer than usual. Um, because if you look at my start, I thought they, you know, I didn't start till October 1st uh, here and, 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 you know, two weeks prior to practice, before practice. So um, it was it was it was a little unusual in the fact that, you know, you know I kind of didn't know what was going on, um, you know. You know, there were times that I spoke to somebody, but then I didn't hear from anybody for a couple months. But but I understood the process and what was going on. So I think that was important as well in my end for me to kind of be patient and kind of let the chips fall where they made, which, you know, at the end of the day, they ended up getting back to me. I ended up going to campus and having a great meeting with, you know, the faculty, you know, the vice president, the president. And, and you know, from then on, and you know, everything was very smooth. Yeah, and, and just that process, I know you said you hadn't heard from them sometimes in months, you know, sometimes it's in between days, but you end up getting on campus. What is that on-campus interview like for, you know, the young coaches out there that, you know, are starting to go after head coaching jobs? How did you prepare for that? And, uh, you know, once it was in front of you, how did you attack it? Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, I'm not going to lie to you and, and, and tell you it was a little bit nerve-wracking. Uh, obviously, uh, I was nervous, but, you know, um, I've been through this, you know, I've been an assistant coach for 11, 12 years. So um, I had a lot of practice in, in mock interviews with other coaches. So, you know, I think as a young coach, you kind of have, you kind of got to practice. It's like, it's like anything in life. Um, you got to have to experience a little bit before you go in. Um, so I was fortunate enough to surround myself with some really good people that, you know, to help me in, in terms of getting ready for the interview. Uh, but it was, it was definitely nerve wracking. You know, when you get on campus, you have, you know, you have about seven, eight meetings. It's a long day, and you know you got to stay focused. And uh, mentally, you really got to stay focused and and, and and be organized and know exactly what what you're trying to accomplish throughout the uh, interview process. Yeah, I think the idea of mock interviews is one that you know we we've talked about a little bit, but like not a ton. And and I think that's something that young coaches can't be afraid to talk to their head coaches about, you know, was that something that guys you worked for were like, Hey Gene, this is an important thing for you to do. Or is it something that you took on yourself? Like, Hey, I, I need to be ready for this process. Cause I want to run my own program one day. 
No, you hit you hit the nail on the head. You know, I, I've been fortunate enough to work with some really, really good coaches. And, you know, the coach uh, at Columbia, Jim Angles, uh, he gave me some great advice. Um, you know, he, he knew I wanted the job. He really, really helped me um, pursue the job and, and work and in terms of getting the job. So, um, I, like you mentioned, I think as a young coach, you can't be afraid to talk to whoever you're working with um, to pay for your next, you know, your next job. Because, you know, I think every assistant coach gets in this to try to be a head coach. So, you know, you can't be afraid to go in there and, 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 and ask for advice and, and see, you know, obviously, you know, what can be done to help you in, in, that, in that sense. So, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to, to, to work for, like I said, Jim Angles, and he really helped me and prepared me to, uh, to get the job. Let's take it all the way back to your college career. You're, you you play at Northeastern, like I mentioned, really good career, finished top 10 all-time in assists, uh, rookie of the year in the America East back in the day. But was it always your plan to coach when you were done playing? Was that something that you uh, kind of thought about? Because I know there was a little lag in between your graduation date and then when you uh, eventually started at uh, Worcester Sack. Yeah, you know what? My first year out of, out of college, um, I immediately jumped to coach and I coached up for my high school. Uh, with, you know, my, my high school coach who I played for at Metro High School. So um, I immediately got into coaching, um, you know, ever since the age of 10, I fell in love with the game of basketball. And I knew um, that I wanted to continue, whether it was playing, coaching, I knew I wanted to do something um, in that field. So, um, you know, it's, it's always been a passion and a love of mine. So I've been very fortunate to uh, have some great opportunities along the way to continue my dream. Yeah, and you have a lot of coaches who – you know, have a great amount of respect for you and also seem to really like you personally. I think just throughout this podcast, everyone's like, you got to get Gene on, you got to get Gene on. Uh, he's the man. He's funny. He's good on the road. I mean, well, you know, that's what we heard. So we had mm -hmm. to get, this is like the main event. For us. <laughs> You're like I mean, this is huge. That's a lot of pressure. But, that's uh, a lot of pressure. <laughs> no, now I'm putting the pressure on. But to that point, how did you find comfortability on the road and recruiting from that early on throughout your years? How did you build and not just get better at the recruiting process, but get better at the networking and relation, uh, relationship building process? I, I think, you know, I've always had a saying, you know, you got to stay true to yourself. I think you got you to gotta be who you are. You can't try to emulate somebody else. You can't try to be somebody different. You know, I just think your personality in terms of who you all has to just come out. Um, I, I think a lot of people in the recruiting uh, world knows when, you know, obviously people aren't being honest and real with them. And I, and I just try to be real with, with, you know, the coaches that I meet on the road, the, the, the recruits that I talk to, the parents that I talk to. Um, I'm kind of what you see is what you get. You know, I don't have a stick. I don't have any, any anything that I rehearse before I talk to people. It's just, you know, this is me. So I think that's kind of helped me along the way. Uh, in this profession and making a lot of friends in the business that, you know, that I can pick up the phone and call them because they know, they know what type of person I am. So I've been, I've been very fortunate along the way. Do you feel like you've always been that, like through coaching, when you started, you were just like, I'm going to be real. You weren't trying to do everything. Cause we've heard coaches on this podcast say, you know, when I first started, I wanted to, you know, be really good X's and O's guys. So I tried to like, you know, elaborate on that or show people I could be good X's and O's. How did you become better at different areas uh, that maybe you weren't so strong at in terms of coaching? Um, I just try to stay patient and try to, you know, try to learn from everybody that I, that I, that I talk to about basketball, whether it be a high school coach, a junior college coach. Because um, I don't think in the game of basketball you can ever stop learning. Um, I think everybody has a different perspective, a different way of doing things. And, 
you can always get one or two things from, you know, someone at any level. So, you know, I just try to ask questions and, and try to listen a lot. And then and I think that really helped me along the way. I took a lot of notes, um, you know, from camp lectures um, to, you know, to, to, to talking to coaches on the road. I try to, um, while I'm networking, I try to pick everybody's brain about the game of basketball. I think that's what you have to do um, as a young coach. Um, I tell my guys all the time, you know, nobody in this gym has all the answers. I don't have all the answers. The assistant coaches don't have all the answers. We kind of have to work together um, to, to try to get the answers. And I think that applies the same to the game of basketball coaching. You, you kind of have to take a little bit of, from everybody uh, to be successful. Gene, what was your style early on? I mean, you're coming up from a player I know uh, at least a year of Ron Everhart. I went back and looked earlier, but so that's a guy that's a little bit harder on his players. But, you know, you're coming off your point guard. So obviously you see the game at a decently, you know, at a, at a high level. When, when you got there, were you were you quiet at first? I, actually, I, I, let me go a different direction. What worked for you as a player? What, what coaching style was what most effective when you were playing, do you think? For you? <laughs> um. I think all the coaches that I played for um, were very, you know, adamant and, and, and pushing me and, and getting on me and, and making sure that I maximize my talent. So, I, you know, I think that's the style that fits me. But, you know, I, I feel like, you know, as a coach, you have to make an adjustment. You know, I might, you know, I might want to coach this way. But, you know, nowadays you have to kind of be, you know, you have to be yourself, but you kind of have to kind of take it back a little bit because the games play different, the kids are different. Um, so. I've kind of made the adjustment uh, in terms of that, but, you know, definitely the style of, you know, pushing guys to get the most out of them, to try to get them better. Um, that's the style that's always, you know, worked for me. That's the style I played. Like you mentioned, Coach Everard was terrific in that. And, and, and in terms of, you know, frame on, I played for frame on. So, um, you know, uh, you got you to gotta be able to push it and, and be held accountable. And, you know, my guys, I'm fortunate my guys let me coach them that way. Um, so um, and I've been very happy with that. Yeah. Have you, have you had, I guess like one of the things I always try to stress is especially like in the Ivy league, but then also in like the UAA and these higher academic division three schools, like you're getting kids who, you know, basketball may not actually be their first priority and it's not exactly a bad thing. Like, you know, number one, like neuroscience school in the country is, you know, where you're coaching at. So like, <laughs> right. how, how do you kind of balance that with the academic piece and the athletics piece? Cause it, it, and we talked to Josh Leffler, obviously from Josh Johns Hopkins and, talk to Tom mm -hmm. McGinnis and, you know, it, it's tougher sometimes when you're like, Hey, we got to go play Chicago. And some kid is like, well, you know, I got like a nuclear physics exam in the morning and <laughs> I got to figure out the way to balance it. So how, how do you as a coach kind of balance that? I think that, you know, I think that comes back to recruiting again, you know, you have to make sure when you recruit a certain type of kid, you know, you have to let them know, Hey, I understand that, you know, obviously academics is the number one priority, no question about it, but you know, basketball is extremely important. And if you want to come here, you know, I think you have to put the same effort and energy into the game of basketball. As you, your classes has got to be a balance, like you mentioned. So I think you just have to be honest with the kids you recruit at this level, as well as the Ivy League. Um, that academics is definitely the priority and the number one thing. But, you know, you want to make sure you remind them that basketball is also important. That, and that's a huge reason why, you know, why they're coming to your school. So um, I try to stress that with my coaches. Hey, I want to make sure we get guys that, you know, that kind of understand that, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. And that's okay. But we want to make sure we get those type of kids that, that know the difference in terms of the balance part. Yeah, and we always ask head coaches about, you know, their staff and things like that. Uh, I'm sure you have some young assistant coaches underneath you who eventually want to become head coaches and run their own programs. How do you set them up for success in the future? And how are you building them up just like you've gotten built up, whether it was mock interviews or 
relationship building and things like that. How are you doing that for your staff? I think the one thing that I, you know, I, that I learned earlier, and you gotta, you gotta let assistants coach. You gotta let them be active in practice. Just like the players, you gotta get them involved in what you're trying to do. So, um, I think that's one way that, that I've been trying, I did that last year with my, with my guys is, you know, let them, you know, I gave them a lot of responsibility, uh, and they did a terrific job. So that's, that's one way of, of, of learning is, is to be able to, you know, be able to get on the court and, and coach these guys, even though you're an assistant, because, you know, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to accomplish the same goal. So, um, I try to give my guys a lot of responsibility in, in the sense of that. What, what was it like? Oh, sorry, small. No, you cut you off. But what, you know, Gina, I actually, not that you would know this, but I was in a similar situation at College of Charleston where I got hired and then some stuff went down off the court, some, some verbal abuse stuff. And I actually was, you know, fortunate enough to be retained by Earl Grant. But I remember kind of like what mm-hmm. that changeover was like and how uncomfortable it was for me, you know, as, <laughs> as an assistant, right. or, you know, as a video guy. And then Antonio Reynolds Dean, who I'm sure you're quite familiar with, he uh, was also My on guy. staff at the same time. Yeah, he's everybody's guy. Tone's the best, you know. But <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, like when you get there on October 1st, obviously you're going you're gonna to make some hires and you're going to build your staff. But like, what were the first couple weeks like? Because, you know, you still have what? You still have about like four to six weeks before you actually start playing games. And you probably started practice October 15th, maybe I'm guessing you started. So what were those two weeks like between October 1st and October 15th in terms of like hiring a staff, like getting to know your players, like deciding, looking at your schedule because you got to know what you're doing. Like what, what, what were those two weeks like? Did you sleep at all? No, it was. Uh, it was. I, I swear, I can't remember any of those days. <laughs> I really can't. Uh, between trying to get a house, between trying to move, between trying to, you know, get practice organized, like you mentioned, sitting down with the staff and sitting down with the players, it was a very hectic week. You know, the one great thing is I was fortunate enough that you know we had to keep the assistant coaches from before, uh, but I knew both guys. You know, for example, Pat Lepowski was with me. You know, his dad, I almost worked for his dad years ago when I first got into coaching. So I knew Pat and I knew his dad and I knew his family. And, and Coach Tab, who, you know, who was in the eyes of the Brown, um, who I knew as well. So I was fortunate enough to kind of have a relationship with those guys before I got there. And they, they did a great job of guiding me um, with everything in terms of, you know, talking about this, this kid, what he's like, you know, what makes him go, what doesn't. So I was fortunate enough to, to have those guys. I think that. You know, I told them at the end of the season that was a huge reason why we were successful. Because I think if I had to, you know, hire two new guys that I didn't know, that didn't know the kids, uh, it would have made it much more difficult to have success. So, um, like I said, I was fortunate enough to, to keep those guys and have them with me. Yeah, it's, it's funny how that works, right? Did, did you feel like it's good, I guess, that you knew him before? I always struggled as in that role as like wondering if Coach Grant like trusted me. And I, I worked as hard as I could to make sure, like, hey, man, like, because I, I wasn't part of it. You know, I had gotten there in May. And then everything turned over and it was really an interesting situation. But I, I like what you're saying in the fact that like you guys just had to do it together. Like you're just in this situation and here's what we're doing. You know, like you almost kind of had to sink or swim. Do you feel like that made you guys closer as a group? No question. No question about it. Um, you know, I think, you know, you know, I met with them, the staff before, you know, when I got there, I, you know, I just I was just honest. Like I told you guys, I was myself. I said, listen. I understand this is an unusual situation. You know, no coach gets hired in October, uh, two weeks before the season. But, you know, there's, there's, there's one reason and one reason I'm here. I'm here to help you guys as well. And I think they appreciated that. And, you know, I told them, listen, we're, we're here to do the same thing. We want to make sure these kids, you know, 
A, graduate, which is the most important thing, and, and B, have a great experience. And I think those guys understood that because, you know, obviously they were here with the, with the previous coach and, and, you know, they, they understood the, the, the importance of, of where we were at as a program. And, you know, they, they did a great job of just communicating with the kids daily of, you know, just buying in as well. Because I think, like you mentioned, that's important. When you have a new coach come in and, 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 and an old staff, you know, you got to make sure everybody's on the same page. And I thought they did a great job of just, you know, relating the same message that I was trying to tell the kids. You know, they related that to them because, you know, as you know, as an assistant coach, you know, off the court a lot of times, you know, you're spending a lot of time with the, with the kids. And, you know, if the messages are different, then that's where you have problems. But my guys did a great job of, you know, consistently, uh, you know, keeping the same message going. No, that's, that's actually very cool. I do want to point out, you, you might be, I don't know how many other people have been an associate head coach at two Ivy League schools. I, I don't know. We can maybe get <laughs> our, our high-level stats department on it. But I'm, I'm curious, going from assistant to associate head coach, a lot of times, like, people think, oh, it's a title change or it's a pay raise. Like, what kind of different responsibilities came on each staff when you got the bump to associate head coach? Like, did, you know, what, what else did, came with that role going from assistant to associate head coach? I think just being more involved, as you know, as, as you know, as a former assistant coach, just, you know, I was able to run practice and have a louder voice in practice and, um, you know, run more film sessions and just have more responsibilities. I think that allowed me to grow as a coach. And, you know, I think part of that is because the guys that I work for really trusted me in terms of how hard I work. So I think that really, really helped me in terms of becoming a head coach, uh, getting that experience experience uh, already instead of in my first time you know being on the practice floor as a head coach you know would have been my first time um being here but i already had the opportunity to do that at, while i was at columbia and dormant and so it felt very comfortable when i did it the first time so um i think just getting that opportunity to do those things as, as the associate health coach really helped me yeah i i always i i do think like that it's very interesting because people see it and everyone's like oh man congratulations like you're associate head coach and i would assume that like you get that role because it's supposed to take you another step further to like furthering your career. And so just last one for me before we get to coach speak, but I, I'm curious, how did you, how are you balancing as you've gotten older in your career and you know, you were a player, you've been around this for years and years and years. How are you balancing both the job, but then also your family and your friends and your life outside of basketball, especially this past year when you go in and it's a hundred miles an hour from the day you get the job. How do you find the time for the other people in your life that are also important? Um, I, I think it all comes down to time management now and, and, and just, you know, now, you know, I'm not, I'm still hungry. I'm still passionate about the game. Um, but I, I also understand like, you know, family is very important. I think, you know, at a young age, you understand family is important, but you know, you're, you're, you're so driven and, 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 and trying to achieve your dream that sometimes you kind of, you know, you kind of put those things in the rearview mirror. So um, I try to balance them. You know, I, I try to, you know, spend less time in the office, work from home a little bit more as opposed to, you know, staying in the office till six, seven o'clock at night. Now, you know, with synergy with, you know, back, we didn't have that 10 years ago where, you know, you had to stay in the office and do tape, you know, tape to tape, you know, film. Now you can go home and, and, you know, and you can go watch everything on synergy. So I think that's really, really helped a lot of coaches. So um, I just try to make sure I prioritize a little bit better now and, and as, I got, as I got older. I love when we get guys and Gene, you're, you're not that old, so don't take this the wrong way, but Smalls and, I are, <laughs> Smalls and I are probably one generation below you. Like I still had like Dragonfly, but I was right after, like my first year as a video <laughs> guy was kind of like the first year everybody used Synergy. So 
people were still sending like film exchange requests, but it didn't matter because you just uploaded it. Like I never had to drive anywhere and like hand off a VHS tape or like, or like, Oh man. So I always love when we get guys like you who are kind of like that last group of guys that cut their teeth. You know, when you're in New Hampshire, Billy Herring's screaming at you because you need to get like some American oh, music. You know what I mean? I always love hearing that. You get the, the manila envelope, right? Of, oh, of And then it doesn't work. You, you were probably driving to like Vermont at some point to like pick it up from somebody at 530 in the morning because the game went into double overtime. Smalls and I never had to work that hard, Gene. I just want to throw oh, that out man. there. All right, all right. Well, I did. When I was, I'll never forget. Quick story. I was at WPI, and uh, I think we were playing Kobe. Um, the, you know, on the next day, and we couldn't get the film because it was a quick turnaround. You know, I had to drive from Worcester all the way to uh, uh, Maine to pick up the film. You know, down and back. So those days, you know, when you get to this point, you know, you appreciate you know those things a little bit more because you understand the grind and, and the work that you had to do to, to get to this level. So. Uh, for me, it was fun. I I never hated it. I loved it every minute because I'm a big believer that you got to earn your stripes, man. You're gonna, you, you know, you got to do the dirty work before you get to, to enjoy, you know, enjoy this this this, this kind of opportunity. So it was fun for me. Yeah, these kids today have too many shortcuts. Video <laughs> I think we just got to pull synergy down for a month and just like let every video coordinator. Oh man. We'll see what happens. Did you guys not see on on Twitter when people when Synergy like announced that you no longer have to use Silverlight? People, Silverlight, people were like going, a big <laughs> like going crazy. Like, oh man, I'm not gonna have to wait two and a half minutes to make sure the updated version of Silverlight is installed. It's like, listen, Tyler, Silverlight, that whole thing, that's a tough thing. I couldn't figure it out for a while. So, but you know. But, uh, yeah, my last question for Eugene, uh, just from my end, before we hop into segments, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I was on the, we talk about career goals and things like that, but I think as a head coach, that's where you want to be. How are you actually goal setting? What's your philosophy on communicating goals to your team? Uh, you know, let's look at it this year and then five years down the road. Obviously we all want to win the national championship, but right, what right, kind right. of goals do you set for your squad? Um, you know, we thought we did this last year. We try to set, set many goals uh, with our program. For example, if we have one game during the week, you know, our goal is to go one and zero. We have two games. Our goal is to go two and zero. But we try to set many goals, and then you know, once we get, once we set those many goals, we try to expand it and try to set you know bigger, bigger goals. Um, so that's kind of how we've approached it because you know we got to build. We got a long way to go. Um, this is a, this is my first recruiting class, so. Uh, we got to make sure we don't we don't move too fast. So the goals that we've set are small goals, short-term goals, and eventually I think we'll we'll be able to set the long-term goals. But you know that's kind of how we've done it. Um, I think from from a career standpoint, you know my my goal here is to you know try to do the best job that I can and make Brandeis you know the best ba- possible uh, basketball school that it can be, and and that's going to be with a lot of hard work and. and you know, just, just kind of going to work every day and just doing the same thing and keep grinding. You know, I think it's interesting before we get to coach speak, like one of the things, these UAA jobs, like they just, we've talked about this before, like they don't really come open all that often because they're very good jobs. Like you can win the national championship at Brandeis. Like, I think that's where people don't necessarily understand. Like, yeah, it's going to take some work, but like you could be there and win titles at a school like that because you do have a lot of resources. You can recruit like, like you said, you can get Ivy and Patriot League level players. Like it's not uncommon for that to happen. 
And so I, I think like, I just want people to understand like how good the basketball is and like how, you know, I guess like your resources, I think are really good. And that's why I think it's, you know, the goals question is interesting because Smalls is right. Like you want to win the national title, but you know, there aren't that many people I think that can say like, Hey, I can see what this can become, you know? And was, is that something you thought of too? Like when you looked at Absolutely. this? Job? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, I grew up in Medford and, you know, we played here when I was in high school and the gym was packed. And, you know, I can remember when Brandeis had it going here in the early 2000s where they went to four NCAA tournament. They went to a Sweet 16. You know, I'm, I'm a basketball. I love basketball at every level. Uh, so, you know, I knew about the success that they've had. And, and there's no question about it that, you know, this, this school can, can put itself in a position to compete for a national championship in the near future. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm just fortunate enough to be here. Um, the league is terrific. That's the other thing. There's some terrific coaches in the league as well as players. Um, so, yeah, so it's, 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 it's going to be very hard, but, but it's definitely doable. It's definitely a, a great opportunity um, to, to be able to put yourself in that position to, to, to get to that point. So, so um, we're just going to try to do our best to, to, to get to those, uh, th- those levels. All right. Awesome. We'll go into coach speak. I uh, just won this week. This is from South Carolina coach, Will Muschamp. Smalls, you can take it away because it's awesome and it's real short so you can read it. Thanks, Tyler. Brandeis guy on here. He know, he can read, but I can't. They're all must win. Next week it's open. We need to kick open's ass too, which is, which is awesome. That's somebody said that. That is a ridiculous thing to say, but I guess we totally get it from uh, you know coaching perspective. There is some truth to game, plan- game planning and being ready, always keeping your guys locked in and focused. What are some things you're doing within your preseason schedule uh, just to keep your guys locked and ready and ready for that start of the season? Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, at this level, everything is optional in the preseason. So, you know, we talked about every week in terms of trying to do something different. So when we play pickup, for example, um, you know, we try to do something different in terms of the offenses that we run. So it's not just our guys running up and down, getting nothing accomplished. So we'll say this week, you know, we want you to play this offense this week. Want you to play in that offense, and then we'll switch it up. Um, sometimes we'll just play three on three for the week, um, just so the stuff don't get stale. Um, just to keep them hungry and motivated, and, and, and you know, trying to set a certain goal uh, with a certain thing that we're trying to do. So we, we try to do that before we really get going uh, in the real practices. Gene, I'm curious, real quick, because we have talked about this with D3 guys before. Like you said, everything's optional. Once the season ends to when it starts, like you don't get to touch your guys, you know, on the court really, unless you know, they want to be on the court. But how, how did you kind of meet with your staff at the end of last year to make sure that you were on the same page for what guys needed to be doing in the spring and summer and, and going into the fall, obviously? Like, because it is tough, you know, it, it's a weird situation. It's something probably that you hadn't dealt with in a while. What, what was your kind of off-season plans once the season was over? You know, our off-season plan was we sat, you know, we sat down as a staff and, and met with each individual player and, you know, kind of broke down the film from, the, from every single game throughout the year and kind of told them, hey, you, you know, you want to play more? You want to you wanna average more points? You want to help us win? These are the things that you need to do. So um, we had, a, you know, we had a notebook for each guy. Uh, we had a plan for each guy. And all the kids, you know, to their credit, you know, they bought in. and. Every single guy from what I've, you know, seen is, is come back bigger, stronger, and better shape. 
Um, I know one thing that our guys that talk about is they want to run more next year. Well, I said, you want to run more? Well, you got to be in better shape, you know? So um, it seems like everybody's kind of bought in uh, into that. So, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, getting out there on the court with them and I'll come some things and kind of see where things are at with them. All right, Coach. I'm walking you right into our next segment. It's City Review, uh, Waltham, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. You, me and Tyler are coming to hang out with you for a weekend. You got to understand that, right? We're going to be doing a little basketball thing, maybe chopping up some old film. Yeah, we can always do that, but we've got to go to three restaurants, two night spots or bars, and do one activity. What are we doing? Ooh, that's, that's, those, are, those are tough questions. Just because I don't get out, I, I only ask the hard hitting questions. I'm a big time <laughs> journalist. You, you can you can spill into Boston if you want. I've actually been up to Waltham a, a couple times, uh, spent some time at the Celtics uh, facility up there. So if you need to spill into Boston, because I know you've spent most of your life in that area or the Northeast area, so if you have to spill into Boston, we we'll do that too. It's not far. Well, I will take you in Waltham uh, to Choco Guido's is probably one of the best Italian restaurants. Uh, in, in, in around, so that's the first spot that I would take you guys to in terms of having a good meal. Um, then we would hit Jake and Joe's, which is a great bar, um, not far from the school, about eight minutes away. Where you know they got they got specials every single night. They got happy hour. It's a great spot. And then to top it off, I would I don't know if you guys like sushi, but I would take you to Empire in Boston in the seaport area. It has the best sushi in the country. Love sushi, love it. Big time sushi guy over here. I'm getting the whole boat for us, by the way. <laughs> We're getting a big that sushi boat that comes out that everyone looks at and they're like, who are these guys? We're getting that. We might get two. I don't know. It's, 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 got, it's got dancing. It's got sushi. Um, it, it's the best. It's the best. And then if you want a nightcap, you want to you you listen to great music and, and mingle a little bit, then you got to the W Hotel in Boston. So, um that's where I stayed the last time we were there. That was on uh, Lavoy Allen picked up the tab for that one. I, I did not, but we stayed, oh, at, we, stayed, we stayed at the W. It was, it was an okay. Where, it was okay. where did we go to the W, Tyler? Was that in Texas? Yeah, we, no? yeah, we went to the W in Austin. It's classy. It's nice. The drinks were about $38 a, a, a pop, but you know. <laughs> That is true. You got to go in with somebody. That's exactly. You got to know somebody there. You got to know somebody. <laughs> hey, we know you, so I'm excited. <laughs> hey, any anytime you guys come in, man, we'll go. We'll go to we'll go to uh, Empire Sushi, and we'll go to W. Have a drink. Oh man! All right, that's awesome. What What about an activity now? Either Waltham or Boston. What are we doing? Um, activity. Um, ooh, that's a tough one. Um, you know what? The one activity that, you know, our guys, we, I took our guys on was bowling. Um, again, it's King. It's in Boston. It's right on the seaport. It's fun. Uh, they got about 60 televisions on, on big screen. So um, that's the one thing that we will consistently do here while I'm here is bowl. What, what's your bowling game like? Oh, I'm awful. I'm awful. I, I won't even oh. get into it. <laughs> oh man, I was because I was gonna say we'll bring Dwayne Lee up. He's a, you know he's a pro <laughs> bowler by his standards. <laughs> we'll bring him up, throw a couple rounds. Man, I'll get you on my team. I'll get you like a, a, the strokes like in golf. So we have a Kings here in Nashville. It's it's actually in Franklin, but it's it's new, and it's like that thing that plays rocks, Coach. Like. They got it's like a bar next to it. They got like karaoke. They got a bunch of like games. They got bowling. Like that place is packed on Saturday nights. 
mean, that's how it is out here too. That's how, that's, they, I think they got about three or four in Boston now. Just different cities. It's, it's packed every time you go. See, that's, it's like those places in like Top Golf, man. Like they just print cash. It's just like you show up there and everything costs money, but everybody's like, "Oh yeah, that's cool. Just take my wallet. We'll be fine." Like it's good. <laughs> <We're great. laughs> All right, let's get into uh, ten touches, thirty second rapid fire. I got the first five uh, for you, obviously, because you played as well. So you can throw in any of your teammates in this as well. But who's the funniest person you ever worked with, or coached, or played with? Uh, Harold Miller is the funniest guy I've ever. Ever, uh, he's actually a former teammate of mine. He does the best Hulk Hogan impression. He's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> was he doing? Was he doing it in game? Like make a big shot and like go to the crowd? He, like, he he would do it in the locker room after practice, and you would have no choice. But you know, you'd want to go to dinner and, and go study. You'd be in a locker for two hours because you know he was he was he was, he was dressed in all the Hulkamaniacs. He was terrific. terrific. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh what's your worst basketball travel experience my worst basketball travel experience was um i was at dartmouth i was going recruiting i was going on the road for seven days um uh, because at the time the rules were different where you can kind of stay on the road and i went from boston to dallas fort worth and they lost my luggage for four days so i had the same clothes on for four days and everybody kept asking me What's the budget like at Dartmouth? I said, yo, man, I don't have it. I don't have my, I don't have my luggage. I don't know what you're talking about. So that's my worst travel experience. <laughs> What's the budget like? You're just wearing the same green polo for, for four days. Same, exactly. Exactly. Same green polo and same black shorts. You know, that's what I had. Uh, if you have time, uh, what, what, what's the most recent TV show you binge watched? Oh, binge watched. Oh, man. I'm a big uh, Seinfeld. Is I don't care how many times I've seen the episode. Seinfeld is my favorite show of all time. So, um, well, I hope I, you have Netflix. <laughs> I will binge watch that. Man, how how great must it be to be one of the cast members of Seinfeld? Like you've already made a billion dollars, and then all of a sudden Netflix buys the show for like five hundred million, so you just get another like nine digit payday in your bank account, like just for waking up in the morning. It's unbelievable. It's, it's unbelievable, man. I mean, it's. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I the best, the, the new, newer shows could be on in the old episode of Seinfeld's one. I will watch the old episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you read any books? Have you been, coaches are, some coaches are big readers. You know, we like to get that on here sometimes. Have you read any good books lately? You know what? I have not. I, I, I cannot lie. I got to be myself. Not really, I haven't had a chance to read some. It's something that I said I was going to do, but I have not had a chance to read any, any, any good books lately. That's tremendous honesty because I'll tell you, every coach would just look up at their bookshelf and be like, uh, the encyclopedia, I mean, uh, whatever that book is over there. Like, they just start throwing them out or like, how a warrior becomes a coach. Like, so we, we appreciate that. No, man, I got to be myself. I got to be honest. I figured as a Boston guy, you just had all Bill Belichick and like Red Auerbach stuff. Like that was all you were allowed to read. (laughs) Well, I watched Bill Belichick's press conferences. That's that's, that's my way of of reading. He's he's terrific in his press conference. He gets so much out of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. He's, you learn, you learn from him all the time. And now there's all this, there's this great group of young coaches that are just like giving three word answers because they've seen like Greg Popovich and Belichick and Nick Saban. Exactly. 
It's like, come exactly. on. Exactly. Like, make, yeah. make it a little easier on your your media. You know, I can just picture Eugene, like Brandeis, you know, the school paper comes up to you, give him like six one word answers in this. <laughs> it's like, oh man, I can't, I can't interview him anymore. Well, the funny thing you mentioned, all those coaches you just mentioned, I think has about, I don't know, 15 world championships between them. So that's the reason they can do that. You know? Yeah, exactly. If you win, you can do whatever you want. It's sad to say, exactly. honestly. If you win, you can exactly. do whatever you want. Uh, what would you do if you weren't coaching basketball? <laughs> if I weren't coaching basketball, I'd be a lawyer. Um, that's what I was set to study at Northeastern, and I've always been intrigued with, with, with that. So I would definitely be a lawyer because I love to argue uh, with my friends about, you know, this and that, whether it be basketball, politics, um, restaurants. I just love to argue and, and, and try to get them to uh, come out the comfort zone a little bit. So I'd definitely be a lawyer. That's awesome. Uh, all right, last one for me. What's your favorite and least favorite practice drill? <laughs> My favorite drill is four and four shell. Um, you know, it's you know, you 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 tell one team they got to get three stops in a row. If the other team scores, you start over. That's my favorite drill. Um, my least favorite drill is zigzag, full court. But I hope my guys aren't listening to this uh, podcast because the first thing we're doing in practice on October 16th is zigzag. So, um, but that is my least favorite drill. I will not lie, lie to you guys about that. We we get huge numbers from the Brandeis student population, so I don't <laughs> think this one's getting by them. <laughs> if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Uh, I think it'd be a shot clock because um, I think you know everybody's saying they want more scoring, they want more scoring, so they change the rules in terms of how you defend. But you know, I think thirty-five second shot clock is a little bit too long. I think if we can get that down to you know twenty-five, I think it would speed up the game. Uh, the games would go by quicker. You see. You score more because everybody would kind of have to get in their offense a little quicker. So that's the one thing I would change about it. Are, is it going through the whole NCAA? I know Division Two; it's happening as well. But that you know, you get the rebound and it's twenty second reset. Is that happening at at your level as well? I believe next year, just like the three point line, they're moving it back uh, at this level. I think it's going to take effect in twenty twenty one, if I'm correct. Uh, but don't quote me on that. But I think that's that's the change that's coming. No, no, that's great. All right. Best moment as a coach. Best moment as a coach was uh, when I was at Dartmouth, um, the last game of the season, we beat Yale at home to stop them from winning the league championship. It was unfortunate. Uh, we won at the buzzer. And then they had to play a playing game against Harvard on the following weekend. So that was the best uh, moment for me as a, as a young coach. Do you have a pregame routine? What is it? Um, I just try to be, you know, I try to get isolate myself and, and kind of think about the game. Um, you know, I try to, I, I'll sit in my office, you know, for about 45 minutes, just myself and the lights off, just to kind of focus on the game. Um, so that's, that's my routine. Nothing, nothing spectacular. All right. Last coach who texted you, what did they say? I hope it was some awesome argument. <laughs> Last coach who texted Last coach to text me was, uh, I believe, uh, Bill Harrigan. I played in his, uh, the University of New Hampshire's golf tournament, and he texted me saying, wow, you look like you haven't gotten any better uh, in golf. So, um, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the last text I got. That's an awesome jab. I love Are it. you a bad golfer, Gene? I'm awful. I'm awful. <laughs> I'm awful. It, it, it's fun. I enjoy, I enjoy being on the course. and. 
you know, especially with the guys that I'm playing with. But when it comes to hitting the ball, man, I'm I'm terrible. Terrible. Yeah. I'm with you. I, I, yeah, it's, it's frustrating <laughs> beyond belief. Uh, hidden or your secret talent? What is it? Oof, hidden talent. It ain't golf. It's not bowling. <laughs> we, no. I'm a great dominoes player. Oh, dominoes? I'm a, I'm a t- dominoes. I'm a terrific dominoes player. Now that is interesting. No, hold on. Okay, hold I'm on. writing this down. Hold on. Let, let's dive into this for a second. Is dominoes a game of skill? Like, is it a real game of skill? Like, it, you know, you pick up your dominoes at the beginning. Like, if you get a bad hand, you're you're not winning, right? Like, I don't know. It's no, like, it's, it's, like, a, it's, a, it's a game of mental skill. Like, you kind of have to know what's on the table, what the other person has to kind of block them and kind of move and keep playing. So it's all mental. You kind of have to have an idea. And you got to be a quick thinker as well. So uh, that's 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 my that's my favorite game. All right, I gotta I gotta start learning dominoes. That seems like that could be right up my alley. Two <laughs> podcast guests we need to have on. Two podcast guests you need to have on. You need to have Joe Gallo, who's the head coach of Merrimack College. He's been on. We have we, Adam. Had, oh, he's been on. Yeah, we've had. We'll, we've had we'll have him on again. That's my guy. I love that guy. Um, and you have to have Scott Burrell from Southern uh, Connecticut on. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Southern Connecticut. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. It's worth it. Joey, Joey, we should have back on because they're going D1 uh, this year. So we should talk, talk about the transition. I have a, I have a quick bonus question. Do you know how uh, how much headspace you own in Todd McGinnis at Case Western <laughs> for running your two-guard <laughs> offense? Do you know how much? That guy, like, you, you literally live in his dream and nightmares. You're uh, come on, man. <laughs> no, no, listen. Hey. When we when we interviewed him, I can't remember if you you guys must have played him like a week earlier, or you were going. Yeah, like he was going a couple nights before. Yeah, like he was going to NYU, and they had just played you. We interviewed him in a hotel yeah, room. Yeah, it was. Yep, it was. Uh, it was. It was towards the end of the season. We had like our game was like an intense overtime, like sprint. Like guys got into it. It was an unbelievable game. So. Uh, but that's probably why it was even <laughs> like that. He just could, he just couldn't do it. He just was like so frazzled by it, you know. He's like, I, I mean, I don't know. We're not good enough to guard it. That's just how it is. So now I got to watch two guard stuff all day. I was like, man, do you have to play by this because this is this is probably not good for the scouting report if he knows that. <laughs> no, he's, 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 Todd's an interesting guy. He's, he's, he's got a lot of energy. I love the way he coaches. He's done a good job there, you know. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see, what, you know, what they have in store this year. You, you know, the other thing that he did, Gene, was he made uh, he made Cleveland, Ohio, sound like South Beach when he went through his. Sleep, <laughs> that guy made Cleveland, Ohio, sound like the greatest place. I was stunned. I was like, I didn't know people went. Now that LeBron's gone, like nobody goes to Cleveland anymore. There's no reason to go there. And he made it say, "He's like, we're gonna get on a lake. We got boats. Like, it's like it's gonna be amazing." And I was like, "Man, we gotta go to Cleveland. This is the greatest place on earth." Hey, I did. I did not see that when we played them down there. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything to eat at eight o'clock, so I did not see that. So, but I'll let him tell it though. All right, last uh, last segment. Uh, we call these parting shots. Same two questions to every, every guest. Uh, I got the first one. Gene, what's the uh, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Best advice I've ever been given was don't get too high, don't get too low about anything in life. Um, you just you, you got to be. You, you know, you win the lottery, don't get too high. You don't. You know, yeah. You don't make a lot of money. Don't 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 get too low. It's just you, know, you gotta set a course, and that's kind of how I approach my life, and that's kind of how I've uh, you know approach the way I coach my guys. Um, so that's that's 
That's the best advice I've ever gotten. Yeah, that's very good. Face to face with your 24 year old self, what are you telling that person? What am I telling that person? Um, You gotta have a, you gotta relax and have a little bit more fun. Um, I think at that age, I was so wired and just all about basketball, and and, and that was it. Uh, That I didn't get a chance to kind of enjoy everything else. So I would say, you know, you need to relax. Uh, you can only control the things you can control. So, um, you know, take a vacation here and there. Uh, that's, the, that's the advice I would give my uh, 24-year-old self. Yeah, go to South Beach, Ohio. <laughs> I, I, got, I, got one, uh, I got one bonus question along the same lines. When you were done playing, you know, we've had some conversations. We had some, some guys that were really good players on, some guys that were not so good players. Like you were obviously in the former category. How hard was it for you to kind of like hang it up after your – playing career and and did you miss that competition the first year out I, I i we never really dive into anything like this but i'm just curious like is something this is you've always done it but you did have a little break in between you know how tough was it for you oh man it was brutal man it was brutal i mean you know i was fortunate enough to like i said the coach at my high school and i was and then every day i went to practice i was lacing them up and playing with those guys that's kind of how i kept myself going um i love to play um in fact now, I was playing up until three years ago. I told my Achilles. That's the only reason I stopped playing. Um, I was playing three, four, five days a week. Um, so, you know, um, yeah, it was hard. It was hard. It was it was really, really hard to, uh, to not lace them up and get up and down the court. In fact, today, you know, I wanted to get a workout, and I'm tired of the elliptical. I said, you know what, let me go shoot. And it took me about 40 minutes just to loosen up. So, um, so <laughs> I've hung them up. I'm done. I've officially hung them up. So. But it was it was extremely hard, extremely hard. Yeah, I just I asked that just because like when you said have a little bit more fun, I wonder if like you know you go into coaching and you're automatically like that competitive spirit is right back there again, and it's like man, I got to be the best at this. Like you were the best type of player, and I, and you know I wonder with because I say that because I think like people you know people automatically assume like hey former players like oh man you get all the advantages and that's like just entirely not true. Like you've you've worked your way up to being a head coach, a long career. But I do wonder if that's something that some players struggle with is like you were such a high level player when you start coaching. Is it harder for you to communicate? Is it harder for you to kind of turn off the competitive juices and kind of reverse the roles? And that was kind of like the point of my question when you said like, hey, have a little bit more fun. Was it too intense too early, you know? And did you have to learn to kind of dial it back? No, that's a great point. You have to. And that's why, you know, people always say just because you were a great player doesn't mean you're going to be a really good coach because, you know, you're, you're competitive nature might not be the same that the kids are coaching and then it becomes a frustration like you take a guy like Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan I don't know if those two guys can't I don't know if those two guys will be great coaches you know they know so much about basketball but they're so competitive that you know it'd be tough for them to coach a team and not get the same results that they used to so um it, it, it yeah it, it's a fine line you kind of you got you have to be a, you know you have to be realistic and make sure that, you know, you, you, you don't cross that line, you know, and just stay the course and, and, and try to dial it back a little bit. Because, like I said, I'm competitive in everything. But at the same time, I'm always mindful of who I'm around and who I'm going against or, 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 or those sort of things. But it's hard. It's hard. No, great uh, great advice. He is uh, at JFBain5 on Twitter. His Twitter account's locked. So you've got to be a real special person to get that uh, uh, access <laughs> to it. But 
I know you guys start practice here in about a week, and we're excited to see how it's going to go. It looks like the UAA is going to be super solid again this year. The league's a gauntlet, but uh, we appreciate you joining us, taking some time on a uh, Sunday night to talk to us, and best of luck this season, man. No, thank you guys, man. I had a great time. Seriously, if you guys ever come in Boston, I will, uh, I will uh, take you guys out and show you a good time. Awesome. Thanks, you. We'll, Thanks, we'll Coach. We'll talk soon. Have to take care, guys.